Today's show is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, CuffLinks.com. Head over to CuffLinks.com this holiday season and you will find amazing gifts for everyone in the family. They got socks, ties, belts, CuffLinks, of course, and a host of other stuff that you're just going to love. It's going to make you look good when you step out in the morning and they've always got codes for you to save. Use code ELVES. Elves, baby, just like Santa, and get free three-day shipping on any order over $100 plus 15% off. What? 15% off $100 plus plus free three-day shipping. It's a holiday bonanza at cufflinks.com, and that's from December 4th to the 18th. Go out and use that code ELVES. Go to cufflinks.com slash DVR today. Use that code. Support our sponsor. Thank you, Cufflinks. We love you. Happy holidays. Welcome back to Daily DVR Does Watchmen. My name is Axel and my guest co-host today for the finale, the initial reaction is Gina of the Resisting Gilead podcast. Hello, Gina. How are you doing this evening? Hey, Axel. I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on tonight. Today, we're going to be giving you our initial reactions to Watchmen Season 1, Episode 9, the season finale, perhaps series finale, entitled See How They Fly, directed by Frederick E. O. Toy, who some of you uh, lost and alias folks may remember he started out as a director of photography on Alias and now has become a Direct, he's done everything, Westworld, all these shows. And written by Damon Lindelof and Nick Hughes, of course, that's Carlton's son. You can send us feedback to DVRpodcast at gmail.com and check out DVRpodcast.com. Thank you, everyone, for the iTunes reviews. I set that goal of 50. We're at 59. So thank you. A sincere thanks to everyone. Most recently, Bootylicious123. And Mr. Adams, 1987, very kind words. Also, thank you, Gina, for your patronage. You've been an OG patron. I think you were like one of the first three people to sign up for the Patreon. And uh, I set a goal of 30, and we're at 29. And with Tay, John, Elena, Giuseppe, Kim, and Michael recently joining us, we only need one more to make 30. So let's do that too. But first, what we're going to do is get into this episode Uh, Before we start, I'd like to ask you, Gina, coming into this series, were you a Watchmen fan? Had you read the comic? How into it were you? What were your expectations? What's kind of your background on Watchmen? So I've never read the comic, but I did see the movie that came out. I don't know. What was that like? eight, 10 years ago now. It Mm -hmm. seems like a long time ago. But yeah, I did see the movie. So I was familiar with some of the main characters and some of the background. And um, yeah, I just thought, well, let's give it a whirl because, you know, I'm not really watching anything else on HBO right now. I thought the movie was interesting. You know, big, huge, blue, naked guy (laughs) running around (laughs) everywhere. Um, But I knew the cast of characters was slightly different, uh, particularly with Regina King, who I think is awesome. So I think, you know, she kind of was probably the thing that, you know, convinced me that I should uh, give it a whirl. And I'm glad I did. And throughout the season, 
did you feel like you, now that we've come to the end of it, having not read the comic, but having seen the movie, but not being like super into all the little details, did you feel at any time like that it was too much or did you feel like they did a good job of bringing you along? No, I felt like they did a good job of bringing me along. Um, I guess, you know, there were definitely characters missing, you know, this is the new generation. I kind of thought we'd see more of the original characters, I guess. But, um, but no, I thought it was really interesting the way they kind of structured the whole, the whole, uh, season. And then also how they introduced certain characters and I mean, their motives, even, you know, even up until tonight, I think we're finding out, some new things. So, um, no, I thought, I thought, I thought they did a really good job. Yeah. That's cool. Cause you know, we started out this season with Justin who had not read the comic. I don't think he had really even seen the movie or he didn't really remember it that well. And, um, it's interesting to come to the end of it and see, in my opinion, with this episode included, if you had not read the comic, I think that they uh, that Damon was kind of right in the beginning. You didn't really need to. You probably didn't even really need to see the movie because they pretty much explained all the um, like real salient points that were necessary to understand this series. Yeah, I think so. I think the only thing, and this is going to sound funny the way I say it, but the only thing that really wasn't in this season was, um, gosh, the character that Silk Spectre number two hooked up with in the movie who flew the owl, Archie. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think when the nostalgia over that vehicle is somewhat lost a little bit because Mm. Okay. I felt like he was the key pilot of that, at least in the movie. I'm not sure. Yeah. No, comic. you're right. That's a good, yeah. that's a good, that's a good, you know what you bring up a good point is that Dan is pretty much absent from this. And especially in Lori's episode, he is secondary to Dr. Manhattan there too. You know, you get a nod to the owl in the cage, but that's a good point. I think that's a good point that it, but then again, he's, he was important in the comic, but he wasn't so important in the series. So those little nods were not like, um, big plot points, you know? Yeah. So I think yeah. that kind of worked out. Um, all right. Well, I mean, let's, let, you want to get into it. We have, we do have a little bit of a feedback from our dear friend. <laughs> who is calling himself DJ Mandius this evening. I love it. <laughs> DJ Timothy Hinesworth. And uh, let's read that first, and then we can kind of go from there, because I thought okay. this was great. So he says, hello, initial reaction. I couldn't help myself. I needed to react. The Watchmen finale had me filled with suspense, while somehow at the same time making me feel comfortable from fulfilling all my desires to have questions, backstories, and the holes filled in. 
This was truly beautiful. I felt the joy of the comic book villain getting exposed, a plan to save the day forming, and wild twists that I gladly welcomed. I was drafting this up, thinking of scenes to pinpoint and give feedback about, but as I started writing, all I could think about were my feelings. So in this short letter to you, I will say that the best scene to describe how I feel from this finale and the series slash season would be when Cal Dr. Manhattan was feeling all those moments with Angela and to quote a famous podcaster who really knows his shit and has been telling us all along. It's all about love, baby. Who could that be? It's probably Roberto. That was great. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. What do you think? That was, that was great. And you know, that moment that he's referring to, um, he says, I'm in every moment we were together all at once. And I have to say, I think that's like one of the most in the context of the situation, one of the most romantic lines ever written. It was just, and her reaction to it was just like the same way I was reacting. I was like, ah, you know, <laughs> and she was just like, ah. but, um, yeah, it was really, um, I, I don't think, you know, it's funny because I think Dr. Manhattan in the movie and we didn't really get to see him and his full element too much in the series, really. But I feel like this is, you know, and he was human and he's, I don't know, I guess you'd call him superhuman. But I just thought, gosh, this is like this character's most human moment ever. Mm-hmm. And it's it's professing love. It's the moment before he dies. He wants her there with him because he doesn't want to be alone. It was just, it really was a very beautiful, um, a really beautiful moment. And one I think that was completely unexpected uh, for this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, DJ and uh, you too there just kind of summing it up the way I feel too when, when it ended, um, you know, people were saying, how are they going to wrap this up? There's so many, there's so much world building and little details and who did this and mysteries. And I just feel like all of that stuff was apparent throughout this series. All the answers we got, we kind of knew already, you know, we were down those roads. There wasn't some big, huge reveal. Um, the big reveal was that this was a love story. You know, the, the comic is really dire. It's not, it's like, you know, it's not, it doesn't end well for anyone. Um, 3 million people die. It's about the powers that be taking advantage of the little people. And, Damon was able to kind of turn that into a love story of the guy who was the cause of all that really was Dr. Manhattan. Cause though Ozymandias did the squid plan, really it was kind of Manhattan that spurned the um, potential world war three. So it was really kind of a turn there. And that was beautiful. That was absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Um, and you know, the question of whether he sacrificed himself or how much free will he had, I think in the end he sacrificed himself. I think it was a choice. That's the way I perceive it. How about you? 
So I think this is, uh, and it, maybe it's hard to get into this without skipping to the very end. Oh, go ahead. And how it ended. But, you know, so because of his relationship with time, he knew this was going to happen. And he embraced it rather than tried to change it, which she was trying to change it. But I think he knew she was going to try to change it and was going to be unsuccessful. This is the way I think he wanted to end. Um, But also something that kept coming up, particularly in this episode, was with all the power he has, he could have done more to make this world a better place. And I think this is probably something that he realized after the Vietnam incident. Uh, And, you know, you kind of think about his path from when he first meets Angela, knows he's going to fall in love with her and have a relationship with her, chooses to lose his memory, um, you know, but, but still knows what's going to happen. It makes me kind of think like he selected her. He knew she was going to be the one to carry on his power. We think <laughs> like I, we can talk more about the nuances there with that, you know, why she wasn't blue after she ate the egg. But um, maybe he felt like that power needed to be with another person that he really trusted and um, that he knew would do the good with it that maybe he was incapable of doing. That I think is a beautiful sentiment. Um, Whether... You know, it made me think as you were talking about um, there was an interview that Damon did with uh, Alan Seppenwall that's now up, and I put it on our Facebook page, and I'll put it in the show notes, um, where Damon kind of says, you know, they put all their ideas down, and then he postulates what happens at the end. She either takes a step into the water and sinks to the bottom. Or she starts walking and she realizes, like you're saying, she has Dr. Manhattan's powers. And he felt like he wasn't really interested in telling either of those stories. So we may may or may not see a season two. People can read the article and discover that for themselves. But my sen- my feeling is that, you know, if if the if the moment strikes them, an idea comes then maybe they'll do it. Maybe they won't. Maybe they'll give him time like with true detective or, you know, as HBO is want to do. Um, But regardless, it made me think of what you were saying and how a potential season two would almost be like in the same way she had the memories of will like that nostalgia trip that she also has when she ate, it's not just his powers, but it's him. Like she would almost have a part of him be a part of her. Mm-hmm. And he knew that because he would come back out of the tunnel again, you know, like when they zapped them, sucked them up, he would go. But then when she ate the egg, it's like he's reborn inside of her. Uh, I'm just, I'm just going off here, but <laughs> it just made me start thinking. Um, but I, it really is a great sentiment that you express that he was in the end. And with all of 
the racial politics and history that this show is trying to deal with, isn't that a way of saying and how they talk about representation? There's that part when her grandma asks her, why do you like this movie so much? And she's like, she looks like me. Yeah. I've never seen a movie. Somebody looks like me. Well, in our society, there are many people saying, isn't it time that you let people decide for themselves, right? That yeah. the Judds of the world, the Keens who think they know the better way, right? The safer way. We have to progress slowly. No, well, maybe it's time for you not to be the one making that decision. And that's kind of what Dr. Manhattan, that's like kind of the, um, that's what they're telling us with the end of this, that it's now her time to make the decision. And again, just like when she pounded those pills, she didn't even take it as soon. She was out the door and cracked that egg and ate it. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't even wait. She- <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, she's always been very, I think, you know, from the time she was a child, she knew she wanted to be a police officer. She's very, I don't think she's someone that uh, ponders things. For Unlike very John, long. right? Who? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe when you're so cerebral, um, you have the tendency to, you know, I, I think it's a balance, right? When you're so cerebral, you have a tendency to go with like scenario A, B, C, D, and overthink things to the point where even if you're using the, you know, kind of ultimate logic, it still might not be the right thing. And I think we see that with Ozymandias a lot is, you know, he is doing something. He He's so smart. He thinks through everything and he's like, but if I do this, it's going to save the world, even if it kills 3000 people, you know? Um, and so I think it's, um, I think, how do I want to put this? I think sometimes when you overthink things, you can do very severe damaging things to get to the ultimate outcome. But I think someone that is more instinctive uh, and goes with their gut, someone like Angela, who just knows and decides and knows right from wrong, then it might be easier and faster just for her to get to like the we're doing this because this is what's right, you know? Yeah. So I and don't it's know. The difference between ideas and experience, mm, right? Yeah. Like she acts from the life we've seen her lead, which is extraordinary. You know, her entire life was extraordinary and she is extraordinary and she is a decisive person, like you're saying. And a lot of the people in this story are not right. Lori wasn't right. Like, yeah, but unfortunately, uh, the Calvary and Keen and all them were, and they took advantage. Um, it was kind it was cool to find all the little things they told us. I mean, like we could go down a list of everything we had talked about, like, what is the, how did this happen? And well, how did they find it was Dr. Manhattan because of the white Knight? Like they explained everything so well, that I feel like it would just be a list if I started talking about them. Yeah. Um, but everything just kind of fit and it really did leave the emotion. And that's what I think that I'm really kind of connecting with. 
um, it, it's strange because I, I kind of expected more to have like all these theories and ideas, but it really is just kind of a feeling, um, that did you, one thing I want to ask you is, uh, DJ mentioned it. This was very comic booky, this finale, right? Um, I mean, the series obviously based on that, but at times it was very dramatic, like look, the looking glass episode, Lori's episode, but this very much was like, we get the backstory of lady true invite, like mm-hmm. an origin story. Then we go like right into the action and it's like a good verse, bad. There's the plot. Aha. She was really using them. Did you like that? Or did, did you, cause I, I felt it was perfect. Yeah, I know. I thought it was great. There were a lot of big reveals and, you know, kind of thinking about the comic book element of it. It's like, yeah, even with some of the emotions, like even going back to that profession of, you know, being in every single moment with her they ever shared, even her reaction, it's like, you know, you could see the bubble over her head because of her expression, (laughs) really. So, um, no, I, I enjoyed that. And, I think, you know, maybe, uh, maybe this benefits me because I haven't read the graphic novel or the comic books, but um, I almost think it's, I think of it more as superhero versus comic book. And I was never a big comic book reader growing up. So maybe that's why. So I, I just kind of feel like I relate to, you know, even the, even the Marvel universe is is just different for me i just think of it as superheroes versus like comic books brought to screen yeah 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 my um my wife who didn't grow up reading comics and we've been watching this series together um has commented how she felt how she feels that they've done such a good job of like kind of making fun of it a little bit leaning into it not trying to be um like not going for the moments like we saw in the American hero story where like someone busts through the window. When when yeah. a person goes through the window, it has emotion and meaning. It's not just an action. Yeah. You know? And I feel like this, when you really look at it and we'll break it down in detail uh, with Roberto and Aaron, when we do our episode together, it really is just like kind of a standard like finale of a action comic story but they were able to put in all this great stuff i mean even with the way that like all the bad guys line up to watch (laughs) (laughs) like they all gather right like the cyclops all gather together and she even has a letter to read to them i know (laughs) it's like ridiculous but i love it it was very i just saw once upon a time in hollywood Oh, um, I haven't seen that yet. Yeah. Oh man, is great. And it's very it was very Tarantino-esque to me. The way that they were able to pull it off, kind of making fun of it but also playing it straight. And um, you know, like when uh Judd's wife says, "Just go ahead and kill us." And then she's <laughs> like, "Oh, you think I'm going to kill you? Of course I'm going to kill you." <laughs> you know? very Dr. Evil moment. Yeah, it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. And like when they arrive back in Antarctica and Vike goes, oh, we're here to save the day. You know, like he figures it. Yep. Okay. Okay. Comic book guy, you know, 
go save yeah. the day. And then he uses the squid and that, I mean, it's like they, oh God. All right. Um, <laughs> it's too, I, I loved it all. Take a little break to tell you about our presenting sponsor, cufflinks.com. And December 9th through the 20th, use code Skywalker to save 20% off Star Wars. That's right, baby. Use code Skywalker, just like Luke, and save 20% off. Go to cufflinks.com slash DVR today. You know, I was just looking over at cufflinks. I was saying, man, you know, I'm going to be giving away some great prizes to all the people that emailed. And if we hit our goal of 50 reviews and 30 patrons, either goal, I'm throwing in another one. And I'm going to get two winners And they're going to be able to pick from a variety of awesome stuff from cufflinks.com, Disney, Star Wars, Marvel. They've got it all. Plus, if you just want to look good, you don't have to geek out. You can just look good. Go over to cufflinks.com slash DVR today. One of the best parts about podcasting is getting to know the listeners and making new friends. And one of those friends is Andy. You may have heard me mention him before on one of our many podcasts. And Andy and his wife, Claire, are looking to adopt. So if you or anybody you know is considering adoption for their baby, please consider the loving family of Andrew and Claire. They're a home study approved adoptive family of three living on a farm in southern Minnesota with a dog, Barney, and two turtles. They're able to adopt from anywhere in the United States and would love to answer any questions you may have. To learn more about them, check out their Facebook page at Andrew and Claire Adopt or on Instagram at Andrew underscore and underscore Claire underscore adopt. You can also email them at Andrew and Claire Adopt at gmail.com. So again, if you or anyone you know is considering adoption for their baby, reach out at Andrew and Claire Adopt at gmail.com. Thanks. Okay, I have a question for you. I'm interested in your take. We get um, Vite's story of escape, Ozymandias. Uh, we see that he had used the uh, used the uh, horseshoe over a number of years. I wasn't able to see how many candles were on the cake, but if he is what landed in the field um, in that episode when Lady True bought the farm, and that took place the night of Judd's uh, funeral, or even if it took place before, he was the statue uh-huh. Um, Bill Kava was right. Save me daughter. Heads up. Good job, Bill. Um, <laughs> but he le while he's leaving that game warden guy is still like, don't leave. But then everybody lines up and lets him leave. What is your take on what they were trying to say about this new Europa colony or these new people because as the story ends they're still there so um i feel like when dr manhattan came to him and said i have created the utopia that you have been striving for and looking for and the people there will worship you um to the point it will be annoying um (laughs) so (laughs) um So the Game Warden clone, which I think was the first one ever created um, and that had lived longer than anyone, well, that was why Ozymandias had him wear a mask. He's like, because this reveals 
wearing a mask reveals truly who you are uh, or who you truly are rather. And um, which I think says a lot about the watchmen. I think it says a lot about the mass policemen, uh, Angela, everyone who's wearing a mask, uh, hooded justice, that it's almost like you don't know who you really are until you're wearing a mask that protects your identity and you're free to act your true feelings. Now, the rest of the clones were never masked. And, you know, I know you guys talked about, oh, their intelligence, intelligence isn't really there and they just seem very simple. But I think that's part of the way that they're like, um, <laughs> you know, they're, uh, their um, growth is just sped up in that little machine that spins around and around the, the screaming, you know, barely baby, almost, you know, it's more like a fetus than a baby that, you know, and then they're adults within a matter of minutes. So they don't have time to learn or. Um, that's a very practical. Have, that's a great point. Yeah have experiences. And I think by putting the mask on this one clone, it gave him more of a sense of self and gave him the opportunity to have experiences that weren't tied to his master. Um, so I, I, yeah, I think it's, I think it's kind of interesting. I mean, what's going to happen with all the clones that are, are left there? Who knows? Will they find a way to function without a master? Will they, have I mean gosh it looked like I didn't count how many couples of them there were but you know it was interesting that Dr. Manhattan thought of them as Adam and Eve and it was this couple that he actually knew from his his childhood that you know kind of told him that creation was beautiful and what you know when he was spying on them almost having sex that that was something that people that loved each other did. And um, yeah, I don't know. So it, it'll be interesting to see what they do in their Eden without a master. There's no devil there. The game warden was killed. He was the one that was given the mask to maybe become his true self. So maybe they end up reproducing, figure that out. And, and maybe the utopia continues. I don't know. Have children and build a society. Who knows? That could be season three. It could be. There that would know. be really interesting. Yeah, I find <laughs> that's that's a that's a great point um, that I hadn't considered. And my I kind of had. I think I misinterpreted and was wrong about the scene at the end of the last episode because I think that perhaps the uh, the iron, the uh, horseshoe didn't come from the game warden. It came from the first Mrs. Crookshanks mm. because she's the one I believe who was the prosecutor and who gives him the kiss uh, on the at cheek the at the end. Yeah. yeah. Like she, maybe it's another thing they're saying just as this show has Angela, a woman at the center that it took the woman, the man wears the mask. He becomes, you're right. I think it gives him an opportunity to become an individual. But as um, June said to Angela, you, it starts off as you're just playing or you're just wearing the mask, but sooner or later it becomes, that's who you become. 
and he mm-hmm. and and as Ozymandias I think says to him also, the mask shows your cruelty, your inner cruelty, and maybe she had to kind of notice that and shepherd him out, and she'll kind of take over. Um, but it was uh, that whole thing was. I think that's probably what I'm pondering the most because they tied up so many of the loose ends and everything that it's that part of it that I really ponder the meaning of and what they were trying to communicate to us and how those themes relate to the themes that we saw happen um, on planet earth. So the one thing, and this is where it gets kind of Westworldy, you know, because, you know, I, I know at some point we're going to talk about this in relation to the handmaid's tale and kind of rep- repressed people. I actually felt like the clones are the repressed people in this world and that they're basically slaves in a way. And they are being uh, created to serve and to be killed and, you know, kind of their lives and livelihood are at the whims of Ozymandias. Um, I doubt that Dr. Manhattan was that cruel to them, but um but Osmandius was really cruel to them. And, um, and so that to me was a, a direct parallel with, you know, even though those were like the whitest couple on the planet, what they were going through was kind of a direct parallel to yeah. a lot of the racial uh, issues that were happening in the U S society the, the red fredations, the fact that, um, you know, uh, that the Calvary had been against people actively working against people of color for a hundred years, you know, you can't dismiss the fact that slavery happened in that. And so I kind of felt like, okay, so you give this guy the utopia he's been striving for. And yet everyone that's there with him is a slave. And is that utopia? And so that's why I just kind of think Ozymandias is like, you know, he's one of those flawed people that's like, well, I did this good thing and this good thing, even though I did all these bad things to to do these things, which this seems like a very common story in today's society. Shouldn't I get a pass for that? You know, it's, it's like, this is the logic that people use to be racist, to be sexist, to abuse women and children and everything else. And so I think that's really interesting. And, um, you know, that's like one of the things that always really bothers me about Westworld. It's just like, God, these, these people are slaves and, you know, these servants were slaves, um, as well. So, I mean, Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's, a, that's I love the man. I'm glad. Yeah. You're, you're opening my eyes on this stuff. That's, yeah. those are great points. And, um, I think that it says something about power, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not though in our story here, we, and, in uh, I mean, on earth, you're talking about a, uh, the black experience in America and how it relates to this story. You could like, like as you, like as science fiction always has, like in Star Trek where you revert the colors, right? Um, there's great episode. There's a great episode of, um, uh, what is it? Stargate, 
uh, maybe it's Stargate Universe, I don't remember, where they try, they desperately, oh no, it was on, uh, it was on the, um, uh, the Orville. They desperately try to save these people who are being enslaved and oppressed by another race for hundreds of years, only to find out at the end of the episode that the reason they're being enslaved and oppressed is because they were the oppressors <laughs> a thousand years ago yeah. for 3000 years. Right. So that's like the hooded justice thing where he became what he despised. And that's why he went off into a movie theater and then basically didn't do anything. He says to doc, he says, Dr. Manhattan could have done more. He could have done more too. He did more at the end, right? Like it was his own realization. It's just like when Ozymandias said takes one to no one. Well, Mm -hmm. in many ways, hooded justice was the first Dr. Manhattan. And the decisions that he made uh, were similar to Dr. Manhattan, though they came from a different place. Yeah. A completely different place. Well, and I think that message is of, well, he could have done more. And I think that to me, that says all of us could be doing more to be building a better world and a better society. And it can start with small actions too. Um, but I just, I mean, it was just, yeah, such an interesting message. It's like, well, he could have done more. And it's like, you know, even with all that power, people, um, sometimes people don't have the capacity to wield it. And it just kind of depends on your capacity level and how much you are able to do, how much, how much more, how much better you are able to do. And maybe your, and your experience going into it, right? What, like with Angela, if she does get that power, you think that she'd do more, but one of the things that happened with Dr. Manhattan, and you see it in the comic, is that the power overtook him. The, The time, right? The displacement of time and experience, and and kind of led him to be this kind of waffling thing. So, so it could happen to her too. It could. However, I have a theory. <laughs> I don't Excellent. know if we'll ever find out. So she eats the egg and yet she does not turn blue. I feel like Dr. Manhattan, if he put his powers in that egg or some power, I think he split some of his powers. Because clearly he had powers when he got sucked through, transported to the cage, right? Because he was able to teleport those people to Ozymandias' office. He was still able to have the sense of being being with her in every moment in time, and he was still blue. And so it makes me wonder if he'd retained, like, you know, three to five of the you know, powers he has, but the rest were in that egg. Maybe he took with him the powers that are the most, I don't know, like maybe like too much power. People Mm. can have too much power. Maybe he took a fraction of that with him when he died, like maybe the worst parts and maybe she's will have the best parts. And that's kind of why I'm like, well, she's not blue yet. But I, I I see what you're now. I I love what you're saying. I'm gonna be my pedantic self here, 
<laughs> and say that I don't think that there's – I think that the way they explained it in universe, he could copy or replicate his powers. Oh, no, it's not as though it was a limited resource, right? Like he could okay. have conceivably made three million eggs if he wanted to. He could have – you know. but oh. I like the idea you had where – she gets his powers, but she doesn't turn into Dr. Manhattan too. She is Angela, but she has all of those powers except for the time distortion type thing, you know, like where, I mean, in a sense of like, we're talking about so much of the Watchmen is like, and Vite was like a new age, the dawn of a new man, and and True was like the dawn of you know new uh, a, a new society, the golden age. Maybe he kind of like you're saying he perfected his powers, like he saw what went wrong, and and Angela gets the best of it. So so in a way, he did kind of hold back on turning her into a god. She's just going to be like, uh, maybe she'll be more like Aquaman instead of Superman. <laughs> like, I was like, what kind of Aquaman only is only good if there's water nearby. Like, <laughs> um, but that, I like that idea though. And that would show a little bit of love, wouldn't it? Because why would he want to inflict that on her? Right. Yeah. No, I can see that. Yeah. Why right. would you want someone you love to kind of suffer with some of the things you've been struggling with? Yeah. Or it's the question of that we've been grappling with is how much of Dr. Manhattan is John and the mm-hmm. fact that he looked like Cal, doesn't that communicate to us that he always was human? You know what I mean? So yeah. maybe because she's Angela, when she gets the it's something different, you know, like it's not, it's not a replica. It's not a thing you can replicate the, it has to do with who is the recipient of that power. Right. She still retains herself. That's interesting. Gosh, man, I do. I, I I don't know. Are you, if there's no second season and if you're like, if you read that article, Damon is kind of, I mean, he's always said this shit. He said the same thing, leftovers, you know, like we told the story we wanted to tell. Are you, uh, would you be in any way disappointed or do you think this serves as a good, like just this was it? Um, I think that if this is it, it still ends with the fact that she thought she could be more powerful than she's been for her life and was willing to believe that by eating the egg and seeing if she could walk on water. And I think that's a really important thing kind of for everyone who wants to make change in the world and wants the world to be a better place to understand that even if they don't have superhuman powers, maybe she does, maybe she doesn't, that the fact that maybe you could do something that could still help change the world is all the inspiration you need to do it. And so I think if you look at it that way, I'll be fine if it ends. However, I think it'd be great if 
he handed it over to someone for a second season and maybe collaborated with them a little bit on it. Like, mm, yeah. well, this is what a third season would be. And maybe the second season has nothing to do with Angela. Maybe they focus on like, where is Dan? You know, maybe there are some other, maybe there's another storyline out there that they just follow for a year. And then maybe they come back to her the third season. Maybe they join things up. I mean, he kind of set it out from the beginning where we think this might be the only season he gives us. Right. But that there could be more. So, um, you know, there, I mean, cloning is possible. So who knows? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they'll clone Damon. Um, Yeah. I feel, I feel the same way. We've talked about on the show that I'm happy with whatever, he does, and I also like the idea of if they continue it with someone else. HBO is a class act; they're great, um, and I think that if they found someone like uh, I don't know, there's a, a, so many different. Even if you did something, I was someone uh, on one of the Facebook page said, "Who who would you who would be like a, the craziest season you could?" F- uh, kind of think of it. I'd be like, imagine if David Milch, you know, the guy who did Deadwood and like he mm. did Watchmen and it was that like, he could really get that kind of guttural sense that the comic kind of had that this show, it didn't really have that same feeling also because you don't have Rorschach as the lead, uh, which really gave that feeling to the uh, comic. But I think that that if they did something like that, I mean, look, Let's be honest. It's HBO. All these, they're coming out with their new streaming service. Everybody's on their game. They've got to make content. We're probably going to see a season two because HBO has the rights to it and can do it. And they don't need Damon's permission to do a season two. They can ask him if he wants to. And Mm -hmm. if he says, I'm not in the mood, then they say, well, we got to get it into production and they get a new showrunner and they try to involve him and he's a good guy he's just going to say hey this is i told you this might happen you know i wish him luck and we'll see what happens i would still watch it um but i'm happy with i think that everything kind of wrapped up i mean you have the idea that they arrested vite and that laurie and looking glass are going to kind of blow up the world and arrest redford on this conspiracy and you know you have all that stuff you have angela you have but then you have the clones and you could just say that this was in this is comic book shit they could just say that this is one alternate yeah take on shit you know and they could yep. start back at the beginning again so i don't know i'm i'm happy i think in this day and age you kind of have to take what you get and um we're lucky that we're getting such great television and there's so much stuff to watch. Um, I'm just happy that they gave Damon the opportunity or that he wanted to do this and that everyone involved. I mean, this was a great production. There was so much representation with the directors, the writing, um, whether it was people of color, women, they just, it, it was a show that kind of walked the walk And I really appreciated that. And in the interview he did, he talked about like being really nervous, like, oh my God, what am I getting myself into with all the race stuff? I'm a white dude doing this, you know? Um, And they went for it. So as an artist, I just appreciate that in general. 
I dug it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? Uh, let me see. I did jot down a couple of different things. Um, I mean, I don't know the, uh, the Calvary. I just call them the clan in my head. But yeah. Cause that's what they are. Um, <laughs> I just, you know, I mean, what was it? Senator Keene. He was just like, it's hard being a white man in America. And I'm just like, Oh dude. Um, and then <laughs> when he was getting ready to try and like get the powers, just the <laughs> gene, gene. <laughs> I don't even know. Like uh, Silk Spectre what her name in the show was, but Lori. she's like, you look stupid in those panties. <laughs> and he's like, well, I think maybe my dick in people's face is, is just overkill. And I'm like, no, you don't. No, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, right? you know, it's like you're, you're Brett Kavanaugh reincarnate. You're, um, you know, just kind of like Jim Jordan. Oh my God. You know, it's like, you're all those guys. Of course you're going to like whip it out. You're going to hope it's so big that it bursts through those panties. I'm sorry. I just thought that was like like really good comic. It and, um, and it relief. Was, it was great too when um when Lady True goes to open up the uh chamber that he was going to become Dr. Manhattan and she's like, "Is he in there?" And then she does his little accent. She's like, <laughs> "Let me open the door." And it was just uh yeah, they they the way he played it he is a great actor. Uh, he was wonderful on Mad Men. He's been in so much great stuff. I almost want to go back and watch that crazy show Zoo that was on CBS because I think that that was supposed to be a lot of fun and he stars in that. Who was he in Mad Men? I, I like I recognize him, but I didn't like it. Didn't he really was Bob. Me. Remember what he says? Not great, Bob. Well, he didn't say I'm, that, but that's who he was yeah. talking about. Um, he was huh. like he was the he was on the make. I mean, that's the best way I could describe. Him. There's so much stuff that happens in Mad Men, but he played a similar like you know smooth guy, but on the that's kind of the character that he plays a lot. Where hmm. you know he's got the good looks, he's smooth, but then you're not so sure about where he's coming from. And he did, he was similar, similarly on Mad Men in this, it's obviously a lot more overplayed, but I thought yeah. he did a great job of it too. Yeah, no, he was good. It was ridiculous. I mean, and when he took those off, it was because that is how, um, I, I can't remember. Cause in the comic, they do show his wanger, but then he does put something like that on. I think that was kind he of does. the extent yes. of his costume. The in the movie because I was like, oh, look at those, and then I'm like, wait, I feel like Doctor Manhattan wore these in the movie at one yeah. point when he had to go out in public. Yeah, that was like part of the, you know, because exactly because he had to be like in public yeah. for his yeah. photo ops. But yeah, they played that stuff great. The, this yeah. the, and the way that in the end, Lady True was just using the seventh Calvary. And they're like, do you, where's lady true? And then she turns and she goes, her, look at her, the symbols. And we had talked yeah. about that in the podcast that like all this stuff they had, had true all over it. And they, they were like, we stole that. And, and you know, it was cool the way that in the end they were ridiculous. Yeah. You know, and they were, she was able to covertly, 
just infiltrate their plan um, and kind of use basically she could have done all that they did, but she let them do it and wanted them to gather them together and then teleports them and the church that I thought was a funny little touch too. like Mm. the rest of the building or whatever doesn't come, but they're still kind of like in the church (laughs) So that shot. And then those people come around with like those big magnets and just go whoop and their guns come flying. (laughs) Yeah. Oh man. Um, yeah, I, I like the way that they dealt with that and how in the end too, he doesn't even get like a death scene or anything. It's just a bunch of blood and guts <laughs> and goo on the ground. Yeah. That was good stuff. Um, anything else you got? Um, I don't I don't think so. I think those were kind of like I think we caught on some of like the the key things, I guess. You know, it was really interesting watching the show because I know, like, so many people had issues with Game of Thrones over how much, like, female nudity and sex and and everything that happened. And I kind of felt like, oh, they're kind of like, it's a little bit of a reversal. Like, you know, the only real naked female we see is the clone, I think, right after she's formed into an adult. True, but yeah. this, was, this was much more like dude-on-dude sex and a lot of male frontal nudity um even if it's uh you guys were talking about the one clone guy said that's not really me i was like okay thanks for setting expectations (laughs) i mean i'm like you really want to say that like doesn't seem bad but (laughs) i just thought that was kind of an interesting twist for hbo and in some ways i was kind of glad that they it wasn't really you know, they did show Angela having sex at one point, but it wasn't like, um, it wasn't as gratuitous as I think kind of Games and Thrones, game, Games and Thrones, Games, games and Thrones. Thrones. I can't even talk. It's like Game of Thrones, you know, with yeah. all the brothels and. True. And when, and yeah. when they had sex, it was, it, it showed that they were into each other and that they had that type of relationship, right. Where they were really attracted to each other as well and got along in all their conversations. Yeah. It, it helped the plot. And also there was the little plot point that it was in the closet. It's like, yeah. he liked because he saw the people having yes. sex in a closet. Like yeah. He's got I'm glad of, you brought that up because I thought that was a really yeah. kind of like a very cute and weird childhood carryover. <laughs> yeah. And then he, in a sense was kind of in the closet cause he was Dr. Manhattan. You know, like it was, it had all this weird resonance to it, but you're absolutely right. There, there wasn't, and even the violence, um, there was a lot of violence in it, but I don't feel like the gratuitous parts were in the American hero story. Right. Um, you know, I mean, I guess Angela breaking the guy's fingers in the, uh, in the truck. Yeah. Yeah. That's Angela. Most of the violence wasn't as personal as usually kind of gun violence and, you know, not, I don't know. There's something is a lot, there's a lot more personal about swords and cutting off someone's head or, you know, true. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think Damon, there was not a lot of nudity in the leftovers or, I mean, I just think that maybe it's coming up with Lost and TV where you kind of learn to write that instead Mm -hmm. of have to show it. Yeah. So, 
that 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 makes sense but that's a good point um all right i think uh i think we've reached the end here what do you think all right i i, I think so too yeah it's a good good season finale i was i thought it was entertaining I did watch through the credits in case there was some kind of like extra little spoiler or something at the end, but there wasn't. So, oh well. I know. I was watching on uh, HBO Go and then I saw something, but it was just a commercial for another yeah. show. And I was like, oh, darn it. I was like, what's James yeah. McAvoy doing in Watchmen? Um, but it wasn't. But uh, yeah, they. I, I like that they snuck that in last week. But yeah, this was a great season. Um, we're going to dive deeper into it. Uh, on Wednesday with Aaron and Roberto and feel free, everybody send in your feedback uh, to DVR podcast at gmail.com. And Michael Aaron and I are going to do a feedback show on Thursday. And on Wednesday, I am going to be on Owen and Baru's barbecue with Matt and Nick talking about episode seven, I believe it is of the Mandalorian. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And I'll release that on daily DVR the following week after all the Watchmen content comes out. But um, overall, man, this season was great. I'm very happy to end it with you, Gina. Uh, You brought your great ideas. And everyone, go out and subscribe, rate, and review. Like down below. Resisting Gilead, Gina's Awesome Handmaid's Tale podcast. I was on there, DJ, John. You had some other guests, and it was a great season. And uh, you're going to be doing that again, as well as we're going to be doing a podcast about Watchmen and Handmaids. But you're going to do the new season of Handmaids, right? Oh, yeah, definitely when it comes out in the summer. I'm thinking mid-season, six or eight episodes, because... um, the book, The Testaments came out, which is the sequel to The Handmaid's Tale. So I'd like to do kind of a little book club version of things talking about handmaids and the testaments because the testaments, the main three characters are people that exist in Gilead currently. I'm not going to spoil it, but those will kind of be spoilery because I guess uh, Hulu has already optioned the testaments and it is how it's definitely a continuation of the story. There are some gaps to fill, but I think once you read that book, you're kind of like, oh, so this is where it's going to go and what's going to fill the space in between. Yeah. So talk about that. Maybe talk about, um, I don't know. uh, A friend of mine recommended a book to me called uh, three women and it's about women in desire. And I thought, oh, this could be interesting to talk about in the context of the characters in Gilead and, kind of their desires on the show. So uh, we'll see. I'm going to play with it a little bit before season four comes out. That's awesome. I look forward to that. Yeah. There's so much good TV coming out. Um, well, thanks again, Gina, for coming on, giving us your time and your great ideas. Uh, oh, thank you. We'll be potting soon again. And thank you, DJ Timothy Ozymandias for uh, sending in your awesome email and uh, go out and check out another week, everyone. Cause actually Gina wrote in, had an article that her and DJ were talking about. That was uh, on last episode of another week. So check that out with DJ and ready and ready does our logo. Thank you. Ready. That's all we got for this evening. I'll be back on Wednesday. I'll be back on Friday. That'll kind of close out Watchmen for the season. I'd love to hear what your reactions are and uh that's all we got so peace out everybody